Welcome, everyone. If you're joining us uh, online, uh, this is just part of our service on Sunday mornings at City Temple. Just one part. If you'd like to come and be a part of it, you can join us in person. Or if you'd like to join us online for the full service, just drop us a note at info at city-temple.com, and we'll give you the information on how to do that. If you have your Bible with you, let's turn to a few different places here. Uh, first of all, to uh, Proverbs chapter 4, Isaiah uh, chapter 44, I believe it is, yep, uh, Luke chapter 21, and James chapter 5. And one of the things while you're turning, we always like to do this at City Temple, uh, we read a larger portion of Scripture every week because it's really about the Bible. It's not about, you know, clever words of some central speaker. And so that's why we want to be saturated with the Scripture, uh, not just one verse here or there, or just not peppering verses here or there through a talk. Uh, so uh, uh, it's because we value the Bible as God's Word here at City Temple. Before we read together, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your Word. I do thank you that it is trustworthy and it is true. And I pray now that you'd speak to us in the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might live for you and bring glory and honor to your name. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd rest upon me, that I could bring your word to your people today. Calm my coughing and uh, heal my voice so I might proclaim your word boldly and faithfully to the glory of Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 4, we pick up with verse 20. Uh, and this is wisdom speaking. Uh, it's wisdom speaking. Obviously, it's God, but it's, it's wisdom, God's wisdom. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from your mouth. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, Turn your foot away from evil. And then to Isaiah, chapter 44. Isaiah is prophesying about those who build idols. We'll start with verse 12. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with a strong arm. He becomes hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man, with the beauty of a man, to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it 
and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. And he warms himself and says, Aha! I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Then to Luke chapter 21. We read the words of Jesus here, starting with verse 29. And Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And then finally, to James. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. James writes and says, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, back in uh, the hospital earlier this year, 
I mean, when you spend 71 days in the hospital, you kind of, uh, you learn a lot through that process. And uh, I discovered, actually, on the last day, as they were dismissing me, I was talking to a pharmacist, and she said, oh, uh, you probably had a heart attack. Now, that's the first time anybody mentioned that I might have had a heart attack uh, in the whole time I was in the hospital. So it was a bit surprising, as you might imagine. But I did know that there were some issues and that around COVID, uh, they have noticed some heart kinds of issues. Uh, and certainly, while I was in the hospital, there was a time where my resting heart rate was 127 beats per minute. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but 127 beats per minute, that's really fast. I mean, that is really, really fast. And my heart was beating very fast, but at times my blood pressure was very low because they had, had me on all kinds of drugs. And, uh, and they were quite concerned about it for quite a long time. Uh, and uh, the interesting thing, though, from my perspective, I couldn't feel my heart beating that fast. I wasn't really aware of it. I wasn't really aware of my blood pressure. Right now, if you ask me what my blood pressure is, I couldn't tell you. If you ask me how fast my heart is beating, I couldn't tell you. If you ask me, is my heart inflamed or swollen, which is why they probably thought I had a heart attack. By the way, if you want to hear the rest of that story, most likely I didn't have a heart attack. That's good news. Yay. Uh, so uh, they're still going to do some tests and things like that, you know, just to make sure. Uh, most likely my heart, you know, my arteries aren't clogged up. Yay. You know, happy about those kinds of things. And you might wonder why I'm so happy about something that I never feel. Well, unless I really concentrate or unless I look at Karen, then my heart goes boop, 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 boop. Uh, you know, or, or Kate, who's here now, you know, sorry, she came from the States, going to be with us for a few weeks, you know, I was excited about that. So occasionally, you know, we feel that, but most of the time we don't, unless it gets to be too late, and then all of a sudden we got, and, uh, and then maybe don't survive, that kind of thing. But most of the time, we don't know our heart, we're not conscious of our heart, uh, yet our heart, it turns out, is quite an important part of our body. Uh, I have it on good authority, not being a medical doctor myself, but I think I can confidently say that the medical community will agree with me on this, that without a heart, I'd be dead. I'm, I'm pretty clear on that, right? And I could probably say that the same is true for every single one of you. Without a heart, you'd be dead. And I can also say that I'm quite thankful that I don't have to think about my heart a lot. You know, it beats. It just does it. Uh, it's something in my brain. It's part of that autonomic nervous system. Keeps the heart pumping. Can you imagine what life would be like if we had to go around saying, pump, 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 pump. Pump. It would be hard to do anything else. But it's there, and it's operating, and I'm really thankful for my heart. You know, it's kept me alive. And so I've, I'm conscious that I need to take care of it, right? And now, obviously, I can't take it out to take care of it, 
So I got to take care of my whole body, but it's an important part of my body. And if I don't take care of my heart and I happen to lose my heart or the heart says, oh, you know, I'm tired now. I'm going to take a break. That's it for me, right? It's it for you. It's an important thing. So I've learned that our heart is absolutely essential if we want to flourish in our lives. It's really a good thing. We want a healthy heart. We want the heart to work. Well, just as the heart physically is true for our body, so also every human being has what the Old Testament called a heart that is essential for our flourishing as human beings. And the thing about the heart, the, the spiritual heart, or that metaphorical heart, because when the Bible talks about the heart, unless it's talking about something that's actually pumping, and you can usually tell in context, the Bible is not talking about your physical heart. And uh, the thing about it is that our spiritual heart, or the metaphorical heart, is every bit as essential to our living as our physical hearts are. But at the same time, as with our physical hearts, normally we are not conscious of that spiritual heart, what the Old Testament in particular calls the heart. We're not conscious of it. We don't often think about it. But at the same time, if we don't care for it, if we don't protect it, we will die. Now, sometimes you don't die physically when your spiritual heart stops functioning, but you certainly will die in other ways. And you can end your life, even though you'd be like walking around like a bit like a zombie. So what is this thing the Old Testament calls a heart? Because actually the language is slightly different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the reason why I picked the words of Jesus and the words of James is when Jesus and James in the New Testament are using the word heart, they're using it in an Old Testament way. Now just as a side note, in the New Testament, uh, the heart often refers to our emotions as a broad, and that's what oftentimes we talk about as human beings today. Oh, my heart is filled with emotional love for you. You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but that's the New Testament. The Old Testament, the heart is quite different. In the Old Testament, when the Old Testament talks about our heart, it's talking about the totality of our inner self. It's what the New Testament calls the soul, which we say includes the mind, what you think, the will, what you choose, and the emotions, how you feel. It's the soul, but it's even beyond the soul. The heart in the Old Testament is the basic orientation of a person. It includes your desires, your emotions, your attitudes. All of that is encompassed in this concept of your heart. It's the seat of your identity in this world. It is the core of your being. It is the expression, the essential expression of who you really are and your preferences and what you choose and your passions and all of those things. 
in a sense, from an Old Testament perspective, your heart is the source of your life. Everything springs up from it. Everything flows from it, flows from your heart. Now again, when Jesus talks about the heart, he's normally talking about it in that context when Hebrews, as well as James, because they tend to talk from a more Jewish perspective, when they're talking about it, they're talking about it from that kind of context. It's the core of our being, out of which our whole life springs forth. If your heart, in a sense, is healthy and strong, you will flourish in your life. If your heart is sick or dysfunctional, it will inhibit your flourishing. It will prevent you from having a full and free and joyful life. Now the good news in Jesus Christ is that we all know that sin is something that corrupts our heart, our spiritual heart. Sin has poisoned it, sin has killed it, but through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of us it restores, he restores our heart, he restores our life by God's grace through faith in Jesus for what he's done on the cross through the empty tomb and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we often say that we have a new heart, which means we have a new source of life that springs up. But even in Christ Jesus, if we don't take care of our heart, it can become diseased. And that explains why there are so many Christians out there who do not live a full life in Christ Jesus because so many of them have a sickness in their heart and they've refused to deal with it and they've refused to come to the Lord. So what can we do? I mean, we want to talk about how we have a healthy heart that will enable us, empower us to flourish as Christians and live our lives to the full. Well, to do that, we need to understand some of the heart diseases that are there. And in these passages we read today, we see three primary diseases of the heart. Each passage talks about a different thing. First of all, you can have a deluded heart. A deluded heart. That's the Isaiah 44 passage. You can have a deluded heart. And a deluded heart will lead you astray and blind you to truth. And if you're blinded to the truth, if you can't see the truth about what's really important, about what's really valuable, about who you are, it will hinder your ability to live and your ability to thrive as a human being, let alone as a Christian. So a deluded heart. So what causes a deluded heart, according to the passage? Well, the primary cause of a deluded heart is what the Bible calls idolatry. In the passage, Isaiah is talking about this guy who goes out there, he's a carpenter, he works with wood, you know, he, he builds... He builds wood, he, 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 he chops it up, he cooks some food on it, uh, he makes a little uh, chest of drawers or something like that with it, and then he's got a little bit left over, so he carves this nice human figure, 
and says, oh, I'm going to make this my God, and I'm going to worship it. And in the end, what does it say? A deluded heart leads him astray, and he cannot see the lie that this thing that he's created is not a God. It's just something that he's created. Now for us, an idol, you know, very few of us here in the West actually craft little idols like that, although it's still big business around the world today. But an idol is anything to which we look for our sense of significance, security, acceptance, or identity outside of Jesus Christ. So if you think, hey, I'm important because I've got a good job, that's your idol. If you think, hey, I'm accepted because I've had this little child and this little child has to love me, your little child has become an idol. It's anything that we're looking to for that, especially if it comes through our own efforts or our own achievements. A lot of people say, oh, I've got security because I've I've saved up enough money and now I've got financial security in my old age. Well, that's an idol for you. And I can guarantee you, it will not give you as much security as you think. Because if we have super uh, inflation, a lot of that could vanish in a moment. In a moment. So whenever we make an idol, it will lead us astray. Now there's other things that the Bible talks about as idols. Uh, Envy, covetousness, and greed. Envy is wanting what other people have in terms of their relationships. You know, so I can, I can look and say, uh, I, I, I tease a lot with my uh, good friend Chris up on the Isle of Lewis. He's got a beard as well. And I say, oh, Chris, you know, I just love your beard, man. I, I kind of envy that beard. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm wanting something that he has. It's a part of who he is. Uh, that's what envy is all about. Obviously, I don't envy his beard, but I kid about it. Uh, covetousness is wanting stuff that other people have. And greed is wanting more, especially more than you need. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I remember I had a men's prayer breakfast in my first church. Every Thursday morning, we'd get up and we'd come together at 6 a.m. Yeah, that's early. It was early then, too. And we'd come together and we'd read a scripture in a circle, then we'd pray in the circle, and then we'd go out to a local uh, calf and have a, a nice fry up, had the worst coffee anywhere, uh, and I'd drink lots of it. So the whole day, the rest of the day, I'm just like high on caffeine. Uh, uh, but uh, Albert, one of the guys, a Lutheran guy, I'll never forget him, a lovely man. And he'd always read a, a scripture about uh, stuff, you know. And then he'd ask the question, how much is enough? How much is enough? Just a little more than what we have. One day I couldn't resist, and I said, Albert, I don't know about you, but enough for me is a lot more than what I have. You know, but that's greed, that's acquisitiveness, and that's idolatry. And do you know, a lot of our economy is built on idolatry. What if we wanted people to go out, well, you know, prime minister, president, go out and buy stuff, buy stuff. Get a little bit more. You need more. You need more. That's idolatry. And it's no wonder then if we're bound up in that kind of idolatry 
thinking that our economy is dependent on consuming, on getting just a little bit more. No wonder there's so much delusion in our land, in our world today. And a deluded heart, if you have idolatry to that extent, your heart will become deluded. It will become deceived, and you will start to believe a lie instead of the truth. You'll start to believe the lie, I do need more stuff than what you've got. You'll start to believe the lie that the life I've built, you know, really is what gives me my meaning. You'll start to believe those lies. And if you do, your heart is sick. Your heart is sick. And you cannot flourish. You cannot flourish. A deluded heart will lead you astray. But Jesus talks about the second kind of heart sickness. He talks about a weighed-down heart, a heart that's been weighed down, that's slowed down and made heavy and just can't function. In our modern parlance, that would be a heart that's, uh, where your arteries are starting to get clogged. And your heart just has to pump harder just to make more effort to achieve less results. The heart becomes weighed down. And a weighed down heart will always lead you into a false sense of security and confidence. A weighed down heart will lead you into a false sense of security and confidence. Now what causes a weighed down heart, according to Jesus here in the passage? Well, he uses a word that uh, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever heard used in a conversation. Dissipation. How many times do we use that? Oh, yeah, I was involved in a lot of dissipation over the weekend. We don't say that, you know. Some people go out to the club and they come back and say, yeah, oh, we were in a lot of dissipation this weekend. We, you know, what in the world is dissipation? Dis dissipation and the translation is kind of a challenge. But dissipation is where you squander your resources, your money, your energy, especially in the pursuit of pleasure. If you're using all your energy, all your strength, all your time, all your thinking, all your money, all your resources to feel good, to get pleasure, to have a good time, to have a good experience, you're involved in what Jesus calls dissipation. And dissipation will weigh your heart down. In addition to dissipation, there's drunkenness. And drunkenness is what it sounds like. Basically, though, it's overindulgence. Now, we normally say drunkenness is overindulgence in alcohol, which it is. But you can extend the meaning of that word to be overindulgence in anything. So if you're overindulging in food, if you're overindulging in, in drugs, if you're overindulging in alcohol, you're involved in what the Bible calls drunkenness. And drunkenness weighs down your heart, clogs your spiritual arteries. And the third area are the cares of this life. It's anxiety. It's worrying about life. It's getting caught up with all the stuff that goes on. And we're all dealing with that right now, especially. I mean, we've got COVID. We've got inflation. 
Uh, we've got terrorist attacks. Uh, we've got all these things that are going on in our world, and we can get so caught up with it. I've stopped watching the news. I used to love to watch the news. I'd watch it at 6 o'clock, and then I'd be dumb enough to watch it again at 10 o'clock. I'm not doing that anymore. Because the cares of this world will weigh down our hearts. And if we become overly focused on that, particularly the cares of our own lives. Because, you know, it's not usually the general cares of the world that get us, it's the cares that you're facing yourself. And what we do, we focus on those cares. We focus on what's going wrong. And by the way, that is a common, a common bias that we all have to focus on what's wrong rather than focusing on what's right. Boy, if I had uh, a quid for every time that I've done that in my life, I would be a multimillionaire. Because we all tend to do it. You know, we focus on the one thing that didn't work out. We can have a, a fabulous meal out in a restaurant and the person takes 20 minutes to bring us the bill. I'm like, ah, this is terrible. The meal was great, but we're angry now. And we leave totally dissatisfied. Give them, you know, a one-star rating on Google or something like that. Why? Just because of one little mistake. But that's what we do. And that's the cares of this life. And Jesus says that dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of this world will weigh down your heart. And if your heart is weighed down, you'll start thinking that, oh, everything's okay. You'll think, I'm going along strong. I don't have any problems. But then all of a sudden, it's over. And Jesus, in the context, was talking about when he comes again. But you can think about that in our own lives. Yeah, we can just be eating whatever we want to. And then in a moment, our arteries clog. We have the heart attack. And we die. And, we, and I tell you, Almost nobody prior, just prior to a heart attack thinks, you know, I should go see a doctor. I think I'm going to have a heart attack in about 20 minutes. It doesn't happen. We usually have the heart attack and then face the consequences. And that's what Jesus is saying. And if you have a weighed down heart, you'll get lulled into a false sense of security. You'll think that everything's okay. You'll be overconfident. And then it's not. And then the third kind of heart is the heart that uh, James is hinting at there in the passage we read. And it's what I'd call an impatient heart. An impatient heart. A heart that is lacking in steadfastness. And durability. Well, one thing about my physical heart that I pray is that my physical heart will outlive me. You know, I can think of nothing better than to die at some point in time in the near, far future, to die, and then somebody be able to take my heart and transplant it into somebody younger who needs it, and then that person live another 50 years. I mean, that would be cool. Because I'd like my heart to outlive me, right? You certainly don't want your heart to die before you do. You got that, right? You get that. It's important. You know, so I want my heart to be steadfast. That's the word. I want it to keep beating until maybe after I'm dead. You know, it'd be really nice if my heart was beating a few times after I'm dead. 
That would, you know, that's, that's my heart way, you know, of saying to death, aha, I got you. Now, that, that would be okay. Now, we want that in our spiritual heart as well. We want it to endure. We want it to be steadfast. But an impatient heart will let you down and will keep you from bearing fruit. An impatient heart will let you down and keep you from bearing fruit. Now, what makes our hearts impatient? Well, first of all, it's, it's this kind of wavering and lacking commitment, refusing to see things through. Now, I've seen so many people. I've talked to so many Christians. Now, I'm talking about Christians now. I've talked to so many Christians over my years of ministry who come to me and say, you know, Rod, I like to start things. I like to start things. I like to start ministries. I, you know, that has no value whatsoever in the kingdom. Boy, that's a strong thing. And if you felt guilty about that, if you feel convicted, it's the Holy Spirit, it's not me. Starting stuff has no value in the kingdom. Do you know what? If I go out and I, I, I could plant a whole lot of seed in the garden. Thank God Karen takes care of the garden. But I could plant seeds in the garden. But if I'm not out there tending those seeds, looking after them, taking care of them, guess what? We won't get anything out of them. I like strawberries. I could plant a lot of strawberry seeds. But if I don't take care of the plants, I'm not going to have any strawberries to eat. I want people in the kingdom who will finish things as well as start things, who will carry through until things are healthy. And what we get are a lot of people who want to start stuff, who want to do things, but they want the results quickly. And it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. You have to take your time. One of the things that's amazing to me, pineapples. I love pineapples. But pineapples take about a year to grow. And a plant only produces one pineapple at a time. That's crazy stuff. I like pineapples to grow like grapes, you know. And you know a whole bunch of them. But it does, that's why we pay so much for them. And so often, people don't experience the fruit because they give up too quickly. One of the great things said to me when I was a young minister was we often overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we can accomplish in five. You know, I note that I've been here now at City Temple just over 20 years, and we still haven't fully accomplished the rebuilding of the church that I'd set out to accomplish before I came, and that the church set out to accomplish uh, five years before I came. But we're working toward it. Things take time. I remember one of my favorite stories about a young woman who became a Christian at the age of 12, and her best friend was not a Christian. And she prayed for her best friend every day and witnessed to her best friend, and her best friend wouldn't become a Christian. Finally, I think it was at the age of 82, her friend accepted Christ. That's 70 years of praying, but it bore fruit. 
An impatient heart will let you down and won't bear fruit. So it's wavering and lacking commitment. It's always being in a hurry. It's that tyranny of the urgent. Golly, you know, I, I remember, oh gosh, no, I hate that. No, I like that. I like it that I'm in an age where I can say, you know, I remember young people. <laughs> you know, I remember when it, it might take five minutes for a web page to upload. Oh, those were the days, right? You could start a web page, go out, make yourself a cup of tea, bake a cake, uh, eat supper, and then come back and the web page would be loaded. You know, now, if it's not loaded in, in two seconds, it's like, What's, why is this thing so slow? But hurry and the tyranny of urgent will create an impatient heart in you. Also, if you start grumbling about people, did you know that if you grumble about people, according to James, that's why he's talking about it here. If you grumble about people, it will create an impatient heart. And if you complain about suffering, it will create an impatient heart. Now, how many of you want to suffer? For those of you on Zoom, nobody raised their hands here. Uh, I don't think any of you raised your hands on Zoom either. I didn't. I don't want to suffer. But suffering produces certain things. And if we're always complaining about it, we'll never benefit from it. We'll never benefit from it. So if we have a deluded heart, if we have a weighed down heart, if we have an impatient heart, you got heart disease. And your heart disease will prevent you from flourishing. Your heart disease will prevent you from experiencing the fullness of the life in Christ that Jesus has won for you. Your heart disease will prevent you from bearing fruit. It will prevent you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish in your life. Your heart disease will slow you down. So what do we do? What is the antidote? We need to follow what Solomon says here in Proverbs. What does he say there? Verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, flows the, from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The word keep here means to build a fortress around. It's talking about a castle. Like put a castle around your heart and protect it and guard it with all vigilance. That means you got to do it all the time. You can't let your guard down. The moment you let your guard down, that's when the enemy invades. The moment you let your guard down, that's when you lose. Protect your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance because from your heart, flow the springs of life. Everything you desire, everything you want, everything you're hungry for is going to flow from your heart. You know, you can't control what happens to you. You can't control the circumstances of your life. But you can control how you live and how you flourish within those circumstances by keeping your heart with all vigilance. Now, what am I talking about? Let's use just a couple of quick practical examples. One of the things, when Karen and I, before we got married, we made a commitment. Divorce is not in our lexicon. 
It's not a part of our language. We won't do it. We won't talk about it. We won't think about it. Murder, perhaps, but never divorce. Yeah, okay, you know I'm kidding. But we did that, and that has been absolutely true. I cannot imagine a situation where I would divorce Karen. I can't imagine it. And I can imagine it less now than I could 36 years ago. I'm keeping my heart. I'm keeping my heart. And she's keeping her heart. Because as long as you do that, you don't let other things in, right? Another way that I keep my heart, and it's important for you guys to know this, when I travel. You know, over the years, I can't tell you the number of invitations I get to say, you know, you should live here. You should move here. I was really happy up on the Isle of Lewis that they, all their churches have ministers now. Because I have some friends up there, every time we go visit, they'd say, oh, you know, you should, you should go to the, this church. This church would love to have you as its minister. But my commitment's here. My heart is here. Now, does that mean that I will always be here? No. You know, the day will come that God calls me away or I die. You know, one of those two things, I guarantee you, will happen. If I live long enough, I'll have to retire, you know. Or maybe, you know, I'll die and I'll have you stuff me and put me in a case, you know, up here so I can look out over you all every Sunday. I mean, that could happen. I doubt it. I doubt it because I'll be dead and so you'll do what you ever want. But you get where I'm going with this. Now, one person, I had a friend who said to me a few years ago, we were talking, they're good friends, and she said, yeah, but could you ever move up here from London? I said, well, it's all, it's God's call. I'll go anywhere that God tells me to go. But so far, God's not told me to go anywhere. And so I protect my heart. I protect my heart. Because I don't want to let the enemy in. Because it will weaken me. Now, we face that all the time. You know, you might be tempted to misuse money. Maybe to put too much on your charge card. Well, keep your heart. Because oftentimes, when we want to buy too much, it's because of acquisitiveness and greed, which is idolatry, which means our hearts are deluded in thinking we actually need everything that we want to buy here. I hope this makes sense. Keeping your heart with all vigilance every single day is absolutely essential to flourishing. And Solomon presents, and these passages prevent a number of strategies. One strategy is to keep God's word in your heart. That's verse 21 here in, in Proverbs. Keep God's word in your heart. Remember the Bible and keep thinking about it. Keep allowing it to, to, to enliven your mind. Another way is to put away twisted and perverted speech. You know, if I went around and said, oh, you know, those people at City Temple, I mean, they've mistreated me. They're not very nice. You know, and I'm talking like that behind your back. 
You know what? Even if you never heard me say that, the spirit of that would poison my heart and poison our relationship. By the way, I don't do that, and I've never done that. Uh, I always brag about how proud I am of this church and the health and stuff that we have. So put away that twisted and perverted speech, grumbling and complaining and looking at the negative stuff and talking negative. I mean, golly, stop saying the bad stuff. Focus on the good. It doesn't mean bad stuff isn't there, but you don't need to focus on it. You need to focus on what's good. Keep your focus ahead of you. You know, one of the ways our hearts get poisoned, we keep looking behind. Or we start, we got a direction we're going in the Lord, and we start saying, but you know, over there, that looks pretty good. Oh, no, maybe I should go there. Or, oh, wow, you know, my life was a lot better a few years ago. It was a lot easier when I wasn't following Jesus than now I am following Jesus because he's trying to get me to deal with sin in my life, and I don't like that. So maybe I'd like to go back. You know, even the Hebrews wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery. And don't think it was just them in the Old Testament. I've seen person after person, Christians want to do this. Keep your focus ahead on what God has for you. Do not swerve in your commitment. Keep, keep your eyes, uh, oh, excuse me, I skipped one. Consider where your steps are taking you. Ponder the path of your feet. Look at the next step. So we've got to keep our focus ahead and think where we're going next because you don't want to get tripped up. Do not swerve in your commitment. Set out, this verse 27, set out to say, I'm going to stay committed. I'm in this for the long haul. As Jesus said, we need to watch ourselves. You need to keep an eye on what's going on in your heart all the time and let those negative feelings that we have alert you that something needs to be addressed. Negative feelings can help us to address issues that are in our lives. Jesus said, stay alert and pray for strength. And James tells us, remain steadfast. And these are proven strategies to help us keep our heart with all vigilance because from your heart flow the springs of your life. The quality of your life depends on your ability to flourish. Your ability to flourish depends on the health of your heart, physically and spiritually. The spiritual heart that the Bible is talking about. Now, the great news, as we said, as Jesus has healed our hearts, he's given us a renewed heart through the cross and the resurrection. And the really good news is that if we make the decision now to keep our hearts with all vigilance, that Jesus is there to help us. He will help us to maintain the health of our heart by his grace and in the power of his Holy Spirit because through faith in him, we have overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have overcome the power of sin, death, and hell in our lives, the things that want to prevent us from flourishing in Christ Jesus by faith in him. We have overcome these things so that by his grace, we can keep our heart with all vigilance. And that is our challenge. We can flourish 
no matter what's going on in our world. No matter what's going on in your life, I can tell you, you can flourish. As your heart is healthy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's God's desire for you. Let us live boldly and joyfully in that reality. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you. And we thank you. Jesus, thank you for giving us our new hearts. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for setting us free from sin, death, and hell. Fill us up, Lord God. Jesus, I pray that you'd examine our hearts right now and show each one of us whether if we have a deluded heart, a weighed down heart, or an impatient heart. And right now, show us what to do about it by your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, show us how in our lives that we need to guard our heart, to keep our heart with all vigilance. Show us if there's an area where we've let our guard down. We need to raise it back up. An area where we've compromised. An area where maybe the enemy has snuck in. And let us take a stand Raise the drawbridge again of our hearts and cast out anything that's not of you. I pray, Father, that we'd not only be a people, but a church of flourishing to the glory of God and Jesus Christ. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.